Welcome back to another episode of Capturing the Intangibles. Today, we analyze the perception or misconception of risk when it comes to software innovation projects. The intersection of financial planning, IT overhead, and evolving demands of the workforce, we break down how to challenge risk with modern technology and a culture of creativity. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Capturing the Intangibles. Good to see you guys. I'm excited for what I think is going to be a really fun and interesting topic. There's been some research going on recently within our company that I wanted to expand upon and start to talk about what type of technologies equal certain types of results for organizations, more specifically the CXO suite. But we're going to title this this episode, Managing Risk in the Age of Innovation, right? And the reason I kind of put it in quotes here is because we're going to go through what, what do we mean by risk? Is it risk? Is it not? How do you qualify that? Um, but really, let's start the conversation on buyer profiles of today when we're talking about enterprise software or technology in general. So we've been subject to some recent research that, and you guys correct me if, if you think it's something different, that the buyer profile for a lot of these technologies today are seasoned professionals, primarily the CIOs, that this may be a once in a lifetime type decision to, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be something as drastic as lifting and shifting from one ERP vendor to the next. Could be, that's maybe the majority of what the research was focused around here. But inherently that sort of, that, that sort of decision is very risky in their minds. So it's, it's more about they're looking for a solution that will make sure that they don't lose their job for a better way to, for lack of a better way to put it. So they want to manage that risk just to make it, make it successful. And therefore, does it stay more tactical? How much can they really innovate? What gets left behind, right? Because it is, I, I can, I can totally agree with that, that the thought of, of shifting to another vendor or, you know, implementing a, a new ERP solution can be, can, can be quite um, a big task, a big ordeal, right? So and if it doesn't go well, it looks really, really bad on the IT organization. But we also live in an age to where everyone's talking about automation, data elevation, advanced analytics with machine learning, all these types of things. So how do you balance that? That's what I want to focus today's discussion on. So let's first start with the buyer profile. Based on what I've just said, do you guys agree and has it changed in let's say the last 20 years? And Mosmo, let's start with you. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Rick. Um, I think that uh, the, the profile has changed big time, right? Big time. I think that now, you, you know, I, I call it almost like the agile CIO, right? And what I mean with the agile CIO is that just implementing an ERP isn't really enough, right? You, you take, you know, 20 years ago was like, okay, I embark on an ERP implementation or a major app implementation, do that and I'm done. Today, um, the agile CIOs isn't really maybe only do an ERP, uh, implementation, but it's, it's because it's innovation is very iterative and you get a lot of the, the, the rhythm and the tempo of, of, of innovation is so fast that you have to jump on this wave, right? So as soon as you have, you know, now you have the ERP, then the next big thing is to, you know, take, take a look at the next innovation. Then when you're done, you jump on the next wave. So 
So if you are not a, the agile CIO today and you just think that one thing is enough, then your, your company isn't going everywhere. So the buyer profile is today, uh, I would say the successful buyer profile is the agile CIO that really jump on the any wave of, of innovation. And then we're going to talk about risk. You mentioned risk, which is very important because you can say, well, the more waves I surf, the more risk I'm taking. Is that really true or not? Right. So, um, but to me, the agile CIO, that's what the profile is today. The, 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 the leader that really can jump on any wave of new technology. And it could be in, you know, an implementation of an ERP over an edge application of any type of edge technologies that, that we can, that surrounds the entire architecture. So I'm voting for agile CIO, Rick. That's interesting. So would you argue that that is the profile of the typical individual today? Or is that, or is that where you see it going or where it aspires to be? No, I think we are in transition phase, right? Mm -hmm. So we have people coming from the ERP um, or people, I would say we, we have CIOs coming from the that static, almost, almost like a waterfall type of methodology. Like I do one thing, all this phase, and after three or five years, I'm getting something out of what I've done. Um, so we are transitioning for those profiles to more an agile CIO that they will do that iterative. And a lot of them will pitch you today that they are doing already. But if you peel the onion and you talk to them, essentially they're not doing it at all. They're, they're just pitching for the internal marketing or the internal marketing project. Um, so I, I do think that we are in transition. We are also in transition in corporation where the CIO still have not an important job yet. So they most report still to CFO. So it's more like a, a cost center almost. Um, it's more like a corporate job in the, if, if you are under the CI, CFO type of organization, well, they should really report to the CEO and be aligned on the strategy and the execution. Every single company is a technology company today, and they probably have a software division as well, taking software from vendors, but also having their own software division and really innovate together with their with the software vendor right so that is what what i think that 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 transition will eventually will be cios being almost ceos and be the agile right so and through the agile not on paper but really through the agile so massimo you said um a little bit earlier we were talking about buying power and and you know 20 30 years ago who, who's buying it today versus previously is it the same person is it cfos yeah, so definitely there was not even a C CIO role 20 years ago that didn't exist. There was a CFO mm -hmm. with a little bit of technical skills. And, and this profile was buying software and implementing it, right? Now you can say, well, still a CFO will write a check. That's true. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the, the reverse needs to happen, you know, from a company perspective, CEO and CIOs. Will drive the strategy, and then there is a finance budget. Well, that will fit into what you can buy, right? So, so I think that the CFO will be more, you know, serving a service to these two profiles because they are running the strategy and the company, right? But if it is run by, you only can do, you know, certain things because the CFO will run it. 
yeah, then 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 you're still gonna be what you're going to do, what you were doing 20 years ago. So one project, that's all, right? By the way, I have to say because I fall into this trap, you know, 20 years ago that was 2000, guys, 2001. So yeah. sometimes, like I, I still think it's the early 90s when we say two, uh, 20 right. years ago. I don't know if you fall into the same thing. But even 10 years ago, uh, Mike, and 20 years ago, they were busy with the Y2K problem, right? So fixing that problem in the systems. But even 10 years ago, yeah, I think the role of CIO now is much, much more important than before. That's for sure. Well, before it used to report up to the CFO because there was really no uh, leadership for IT and software because it wasn't really a strategy. It was always a cost center. We need the software. Okay, let's hire some guys to run the, uh, the the team, the budget, the software, whatever. But no one ever saw it as a strength. It's, hey, let's stand up an exchange server for email. Let's stand up this server for whatever, right? And then all of a sudden, now I, I hear what you're saying, that now this is actually a competitive edge. You can't just have IT uh, and executive leadership reporting through the office of the CFO because things don't work the same way and the decisions are not made the same way for both company enablement as well as actually software strategy and how to actually turn that into a competitive edge. So yeah, I totally agree. The whole operation of management of IT infrastructure and IT structures in companies is still undergoing that transition where now increasingly, even I have seen you know a big change in the last 10 years where now CIO, if there's offices of CIO reporting to you know, the CEO, the executive, uh, the chairman, the, the what have you, right? And they're sitting in the boardroom just as all the other CXOs are. Yeah, absolutely. And Massimo, you brought up something that we, we've heard a lot of companies, and including our customers that we work with, talk about agile development and how they want to implement that in other areas of their business. We'll get to the technology aspect of that in just a second. But I think that that um, notion or that um, strategy that companies are moving to, towards, isn't that what what sort of challenges that relationship between the CFO and CIO? Is that one wants to iterate through certain things, right? While the other wants to create a budget for the year. Yeah. And I think that's what ultimately causes a lot of this friction, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, still, you know, there is a struggle of CFO says, okay, I'll give you a budget for this year because we are running in the world in fiscal years, right? Fiscal years, uh, for four quarters. And that's how we run, right? And, the, and therefore, you know, uh, CFOs, they say, well, this is your budget for this fiscal year. Well, well, a, a CIO doesn't have a year, you know, it could be that he has or she has three year plan, right? And going throughout different fiscal fiscal years and financial periods, so you have a short term or maybe a much longer term uh, investment, right? So that you get the hit maybe in the the first year, but then in the second year you get the return of investment. So that friction is now there. Take subscription model, right? So people are buying a lot of in the you know from the cloud, right? But how did that start? You know that start by a business team like a like a CRM software. The business leader had a credit card. They went, you know, online and then subscribed to a service, a CRM service with their own credit card. They didn't go to the CFO, right? But now, if you want to buy a subscription, substantially subscription from a corporate level, now all of a sudden a, a CFO is, is faced like, hmm, how do I budget this? How do I forecast this? Because maybe people are going to use, they're going to be five people using this or it could be a thousand people using it, 
right? So I do, I do our forecast, and that is the 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 friction you get between um, a CFO that has to operate in in a very clear you know a playground versus a CIO that needs to wants to iterate, improve, grow, or even even shrink. Uh, but it doesn't have a fiscal year type of timeline. It has different timelines, totally different. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, we as a software provider, we have to be cognizant of this too and how things are changing yeah. because, look, ultimately at the end of the day, we've got to sell software, right? So mm-hmm. we have to be aware of how these transitions are happening because it's our it's our job to make sure that our customers can continuously innovate and that will then that that should match the buyer profile of what their goals are. Maybe not today, but maybe next year, maybe five years from now, eventually ten years from now. So, Mike, we heard from Osimo that his perspective is this: call it the agile CIO. But do you think, you know, from your perspective, what what do you think the next generation of buyers are? Are they going to be looking for something different? Are they going to be are they going to look at this as risk in the same way? Uh, God, that's actually two questions there, isn't it? So, so maybe we'll start with the, uh, the buyer profiles and where I think it's going, but I think ultimately, you know, early days when you did have that sort of more formalized, um, leadership role and functionality, I think it was probably a very small committee of people that were making a decision. Show me the demo of the product, show me the capabilities. Okay. I'm going to, you know, uh, agree to purchase this product and then implement it into our enterprise without actually consulting with the functional users, with the actual people that are gonna be living in this thing, right? So they're making that decision. And increasingly now we're seeing, you know, some companies go through their second, even third ERP purchase and implementation cycle. So it doesn't happen very often. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen for 30 or 40 years. Other companies, they they innovate faster, they make those decisions faster. I think over time, what we've seen in the last 10 years though, is increasingly, and Rick, I'm sure you've seen this too, but. Uh, when we jump on for a demo discussion, we're actually seeing everyone from the office of the CIO. And I, I was just on the phone with a healthcare company a few weeks ago. Everyone from the CIO down to buyers, purchasers, people that are actually facilitating the running of the business because they're the ones that are counting the clicks. They're looking at how usable it is. They're seeing how effective they can project themselves to be. And if this appeals to their sensibilities, yeah, the software looks really, really attractive and nice, but is this actually a positive step in the right direction? Because the CIO, at the end of the day, he has to figure out budget, negotiation, and so on, but he wants to hear from his team. And usually we're also seeing that it's now more committee-based that, hey, guys, you guys actually need to perform. Is this software going to help you? So I think that's where we are today. And that's where we're gonna continue trending. But I think what's gonna happen is that with a lot of these new technologies from the consumer into the enterprise space, we're gonna actually start seeing that they're actually like due diligence COEs within uh, companies that are focused on how do we focus and extract or create value and identify how to evaluate, you know, voice and digital assistance. How do we figure out how do we actually, uh, you know, turn machine learning into something operational that improves the business? And I think a lot of that is going to start getting uh, down into the deeper levels of the company. So it's just really taking it to the extreme for that committee based decision process. But I think increasingly, the role of the CIO is listening to feedback. And I think there's this is also, by the way, a change in the last 20 years of just management that we see, not in our industry, but everywhere. Uh, but also that sort of emotional IQ or that dependency on a team making a decision. 
I think we're seeing more of that and more trust being placed into the people that are actually using this, right? Because if I'm an employee that has to use the software and people are telling me I need you to be 20% more efficient, I need you to do 20% more work, I need you to do this, how am I outside of the process of making that decision, right? So I think that's going to continue to accelerate significantly where the CIO wants to hear that his team is happy. He wants to be part of that process, but more and increasingly, he's going to be working on the negotiation, the strategy and the enablement of how to turn that into a strength, especially with their board and their leadership to actually make this a competitive advantage rather than a cost sink. Yeah, the Mike, I think it's a great point. I mean, it, it definitely before it was a top down. There were two, three people making the decision and boom, that was it. Right. And most of the time there was also a system integrator even involved in that decision, right? Because then the system integrate would have, you know, even the, uh, you know, the plan like, okay, I'm going to implement here. Right. But now it's more inclusive and democratic in such a way that hey, if my team is on board, I'm on board too as well. Right. Um, which is really, I see this, this difference, uh, big time, which is actually very positive. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we didn't talk about the role of the system integrator when they advise the CIO to buy a certain software versus another, right? So there is always, uh, I, I'm always amazed how a system integrator can, can, you know, turn a company to make a certain decision while the software actually isn't really very suitable for that industry, for that vertical, for that business process that that customer is, is, uh, is, is really, you know, needing. Uh, for, for that. So I think also CIOs from a profile perspective, coming back to the Rick, the Rick perspective, there are now more and more, you know, um, uh, careful to select, uh, you know, system integrators. They, you know, maybe they have even in, in more in-house people, uh, and less, you know, uh, third party. And then you have also this third party, you know, like, uh, this, 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 system integrators that they claim to be more independent, but at the end of the day, you are not independent, right? So it, it, it's so funny that if you do, if you claim to be the independent, but you still do a partnership with the software vendors like us, then you are not independent, right? So you are, you are actually trying to pitch a software vendor to a certain customer. And so a CIO now, I think it's more, more aware of that, you know, that game that is going on. And if I would be CIO, um, I would definitely count till 10 before I choose a good system integrator that it's really advising me in a good way because for me and my organization and not because they can stay forever in, you know, in my IT department and writing, I'm writing our and bill hours all the time. Right. Well, I think also this goes for anything. You need to look at what incentivizes people. And if you're looking at GSIs and they've got one badge on there and it says one vendor, one product, one whatever, of course, they're going to say one size fits all, right? Mm -hmm. Their expertise is in that product rather than in that business. Mm -hmm. So also, just generally speaking, you should be looking at hiring someone that understands the business because the product at the end of the day, in a lot of cases for like ERP products, you can kind of swap them out, right? It's mm -hmm. a difference of business process and workflow. So you want to find someone that knows their stuff that is incentivized by solving problems, not implementing a very specific name brand of software, right? Yeah. That goes for really anything, looking at the incentive system chain for literally any decision that you're making when you're talking to somebody. Absolutely. I was uh, one example I had uh, years ago to a, a European customer. 
I knew the I knew the CIO very well, but you know I, I visited the customer. I was talking to to the team for uh, already two three days. I was visiting them, but then I figured out that this the team the people on the team of the CIO uh, team they were all individual contractors, right? And so all of them they had their own plan, right? So and me in the middle as you know the platform provider. And then I really, frankly, had a conversation with the CIO. I said, yeah, this is not going to work, you know, not not from my perspective, because I can make, you know, a deal with the, the single contractors and make, you know, something out of it. But for you as a company, it, it will not work, you know, long term, because these people are going to be here until you pay them and then they're going to be gone. Right. So this is not a good way to work. You have to put a plan and a team together. If you want to be the agile, you know, the agile CIOs and not only doing one project, but multiple projects, you will need to have a team around you that will support you with that agile, you know, um, project and, and innovation. And, uh, and he changed that. I saw that, you know, throughout a year, it took a year or two. But then he had really a stable team with a one goal and not different goals. Yeah, I, I, I do think you're right, Massimo. It requires, we've talked about this in the past. It, it really, it's not necessarily one person. It's a culture that you mm-hmm. ultimately have to go through. And I think I love the way, Mike, that you went from sort of the buyer profile into, well, the buyer profile is actually the changing user profile. That's a really mm-hmm. yeah. elegant way to put it. And I think we're going to have to, we're going to have to shelve that because I know our, our friend Nunzio is going to want to be heavily involved in that. But let's, let's sort of try to elegantly segue into the technology aspect of this, because what you guys are describing when we're talking about agile development and how we're focusing on user profile, I, I might, I might argue, I think we're giving it more credit. I think there is a lot more still, still not tension, but, um, sort of old, call it old school ways of having to balance what is considered risk as far as, well, we've got to make this million dollar implementation in some cases work. So we're not, we're going to only focus on, you know, the high level things, right? And we, we're trying to get away from that, but let's say we're continuing down this path of trying to get to agile development and focusing on user profiles. I would argue that requires a really modern technology, you know, foundation, right? So Massimo, let me ask you this, knowing that we're talking about risk from a technology perspective, how how should or how can a CIO balance that? Is there something out there to say, yeah, I want to be really innovative, but it doesn't carry a lot of risk as we're sort of changing this profile? What's the technology solution for that? Yeah, so I don't know, you know, the guys that will listen to the podcast, watch the podcast, you know, and, and I love comments if people are going to comment that. But I saw a lot of research. There is a lot of research going on, uh, both in the analyst community, but also technology blogs where people are pitching this composition platforms or, you know, enterprise application platform, right? And essentially what they do, they, they, they enable, a, you know, a, a, the, 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 the creation of a business process with diff, one of multiple solutions, you know, and they come, you know, as, as uniform to the end user, to the business process and in, and in a different way. It's a really new emerging category in the space. So the, the, the good news for the agile CIO today is if you purchase software, if you buy software that is, 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 is powered by this enterprise composition platform, you can choose, you know, 
the phases of introducing the technology innovation. So meaning you can start with a merely ERP, you know, ERP implementation, but then you already have the, uh, the, uh, the, the platform, the, the, the composition platform. So probably you will need already to implement the APIs. You will need some APIs. You will need a single sign on. And maybe you start to take a, take care of the data and analytics, right? So this will be the base, the base project. But guess what? Now, when you finish that project, you can enter immediately the second phase of a project and say, Oh, maybe I want to do, um, you know, a, a compliance project. You know, I have the data. I want to make sure that I have all the rules for fraud detection, you know, taken care. And then once you have done that, because you have this platform, it's already there. You can start a third phase. You can say, oh, why can't I do machine learning and do optimization and anonymity detection, right? And then um, once you do that, then why don't you take the low-code capabilities in this platform and build some nice, um, you know, mobile applications for your for your business? And so you see, this this platform that people call in the in the industry composition platform, if the vendor comes with such a platform. It enables you as a CIO to do this, 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 this projects. Why is it important? Because you can say, well, I can take, I can buy another, you know, a, a, I can, I can buy an AI, AI platform for another vendor and then, and then do the same in the second phase or in the third phase. I can buy a risk compliant. Well, we said in many times in this podcast, if, if the AI platform is already in the enterprise application platform, it's already wired. So you're not worried about doing all the surgeries and integrating it. It's already there. So you almost start with the project day one and you finish the project very soon. If you buy an external platform component, then the first thing you have to do, you're going to spend time first integrating. So after six weeks, probably you have zero value still because you have spent time integrating it and taking care of all the systems, integrations and the security and so on. And guess what? You're not going to be the agile CIO. You're going to be doing waterfall again. And then guess nobody wants to touch it anymore because you integrate the whole beast together, right? So, Rick, uh, follow up on that because I, I totally agree with you, Massimo. But, Rick, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts here are because everything that you said, Massimo, 100% agree. At the same time, how are you shooting yourself in the foot if you're going to embrace everything that you just laid out? And then say, but I'm going to do this on-prem or I'm going to do this in single tenant cloud that very seldomly gets upgraded or I have to schedule upgrade cycles once every 18 months or 24 months or something like that, right? So like everything that you said, absolutely. But if you're buying into a frozen version of the architecture, Rick, what is the advantage of, of then actually going like full on, like full throttle cloud in, in that capacity if you see where i'm kind of going with this where what what are the pitfalls if you don't put it another I, way I, yeah let me I, I think the answer is simple it's not possible unless mm -hmm. you do that right and i think it's it will first and foremost let's be let's be completely honest here the majority of the advanced technology and innovation that you're wanting to do if you find vendors and ways of even trying to attempt to do that on premise, and I can promise you, you're doing that yourself because no one's wanting to carry the risk of that cost. The TCO for doing something like that is astronomical, right? So the only way to do this in a way is, is really getting you to full multi-tenancy where you can take advantage of technologies like 
data lake and now your your favorite mike the lake house components if you want to yeah. do you know real-time curated analytics and reporting in conjunction with your data lake strategy and then you want to do some advanced analytics with machine learning and embed that into your enterprise those types of things you simply cannot do until you move to multi-tenant cloud because the tco will never justify it you that that clash that we were talking about from the cfo and the cio don't even don't even bother if you're not moving to cloud for something like that. Now I, I get it. There's we still go through these debates of hey, am I comfortable with my data being there? Look, at some point, every everyone's going to get on board with that. It's it. There's so many advantages to that, and security continues to get you know better and better as as we move forward move forward with that. But Massimo, one thing that that you had said, and I want to highlight. I want to give a shout out to. You mentioned the EAP research, and we're good friends with Olger Mueller over at uh, Constellation Research. But he, in some of his market research, he's been talking about how um, really CXOs, let's call it, are choosing their software vendor based on who has the best return on R&D. That's, that's where the trend's going in, in purchasing decision. And guess what? The leading factor of that evaluation is now this EAP or application platform because the, the market is moving towards, hey, I, I, I need to be really nimble. I need to be able to be agile. And I need to be able to do all these projects at my speed without having all these debates on costs and timeline and all mm -hmm. these different things. I need to be given given the ability and let my people go. Back to the user profile. How can I, how can I enable them to create the user experiences and the innovation that ultimately they want to do? That's why this, this space is ultimately going to explode, in my yeah. opinion. But one thing you mentioned earlier, Massimo, so when you say, okay, I want to do something on, you know, related to security and compliance, I want to do something related to, then I move on to a phase two with ML, then I move on to, you know, advanced analytics or, or whatever it may be, right? Or IPA, uh, intelligent process automation. How, how, do, how does a company still, how do they avoid still that clash, right? I want to be agile. Does the platform solve for that or am I still buying separate things, right? No, no, that's why that's why I think what Olga was saying, it's absolutely true. We we're seeing that as well. You know, you avoid or you manage risk by saying, Hey, I by the way, I implemented the ERP, it runs the most business important business processes. Oh, guess what? There is a platform behind that 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 exposed this business process and I can innovate. Uh, in, in, in different ways, in different areas, right? So instead of getting someone, something, you know, from outside and, and try to plug it in and make it work and it will never work. So to me, you know, one of the things, you know, coming back what you guys were saying, it has to happen in the cloud. You know, it doesn't matter if it is cloud or not. The, the reality is in the cloud, in multi-tenant, you have the full power of the computers. Um, you know, you have infinite scale. You know, uh, that, that's, that's very important. Infinite scale. But guess what? Now, if your vendor can give you an update every month, every month you get an update and everything works, but you get new functionality and new innovation, right? And that's without any risk because it comes with your description, those updates and those new innovation. And so you can take now this new functionality and use it and, and plan a new project and do it. And the rest is still running. It's there. It's running. Uh, and so you, you grow together with the software vendor. You know, we call it no customer left behind, but not per se on premise. But even in the cloud, 
our you know our vision is a view that every customer will will innovate and come with us we are at the same pace it's not that uh, a software vendor is up there in uh, for a year or two years and you are behind no no you grow with us right and yeah. and what i love is what we are doing you know uh rick uh with, with, with your team is we do what we call the spotlights, right? So this is what we should work with agile, agile CIOs says, okay, I just done my ERP and I'm done. I'm ready for phase two. What could be a spotlight innovation that I can pick on it? Right. So we, we advise also the customers and the CIO says, Oh, this, you can do this and this depending on their business need and issues. Right. So, so it's a, it's a collaboration between the agile CIOs and us, or I would say the software vendor. To find the next spotlight, you know what would be the next project to do. Um, but but if you if you already have that foundation, it's easy. It's easy. You have it already, right? You turn it off and you use it. Um, there is there is no installation. There is no integration. You turn it off and boom, you have it. So I think what you're saying is is it, it's one thing. It's it's yeah. a it's a commercial strategy that lets you implement that culture, right? So you're ultimately you're selling a you're, you're buying into a technology culture with something like an application platform that mm-hmm. allows you to do this and everything's not a one-off anymore, right? Mm-hmm. But that's where, I, that's where I still think that we still have this clash to where when I said earlier, the risk, is it risk or is it not? And I think that's where this transition that we're seeing in the market comes from. Yeah, th- there is no risk here. There is, there is be- you know, because you already have the core piece running Adding innovation and operationally improve whatever functionality you add, either it's around the data or ML, even process mining. We talked about a couple of uh, podcasts ago. Process mining is is becoming very very important. It is it is manageable because the foundation is already there. You know, eighty percent of the work is done already. Hmm. You know, and so you only need to work now and focus on the twenty percent. And that's, that's where agile and innovation is coming there. And then once you're done, you can go and start a new one or even improve what you have done, the 20% and do it even better. Right. So, so the risk is much, much less, you know, than, than before, you know. And by the way, you're not managing servers or, or, or you know, are, are you out of capacity? Or are you scaling? That's all taken care for you. I think that's a really interesting line of thought because I agree with you. There's not a lot of risk there, but there's a perception of risk. And I think it's it comes down to uh, cost versus value or the perception or conflation of cost and value. So if something's going to cost me more, mm-hmm. then there better be a lot of value. And if it's going to cost less, I'm going to get less of it. And obviously we see when that cost curve climbs too high, then people are like, well, you know, can we get 80% of what this product is able to do? But, you know, by, by selecting a cheaper option or alternative. Yeah. But I think what's really, really interesting about what you're saying, Massimo, is um, that there is this perception of risk. And I think this is actually something that, you know, is actually good to address as the elephant in the room, which is subscription software versus perpetual licensing. Because, Mm -hmm one of the challenges that people have a hard time kind of wrapping their mind around is, okay, I'm going to, instead of paying X amount of dollars per year, I'm going to pay a less amount on a yearly basis, but over five or 10 years, I will have spent more money with this company than if I had implemented on-prem, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the elephant in the room. And I think before I I continue that thought, just, just think about if you were to quantify 
how many movies, how many TV shows, how much content have you consumed on things like YouTube and Netflix, right? Maybe we'll say Netflix, right? Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, whatever it is that you use, right? And if you were to actually assign a dollar cost to every single piece of content that you watched on there, would you have spent $10,000 over the last five exactly. years watching all these movies? No, but I will absolutely pay $10.99 every single month to get access to that catalog, right? Exactly. So will I have spent more money over the long term given the amount of uh, content that I've consumed? Yeah, but I'm exposed to a lot more content that I never would have paid for or touched had I not actually had the benefit of this subscription service. So when we bring it back around to uh, cloud update cadence and so on, yeah, are you spending more money over a given event horizon over a period of time? Yeah, there's there's no ducking that. It's not an uncomfortable situation, but put aside cost because this is a value discussion or a value proposition. Mm -hmm. What are you now able to do to drive higher up that value curve? Or take mm -hmm. two companies, one that goes on-prem and one that gets monthly updates to their ERP, their processes and their technology, right? All things the same, which one actually gains a bigger competitive advantage over a five-year event horizon than the one uh, that went on-prem. Yeah. So yeah, the cost might be a little higher, but are you also adding a value multiplier to the value that you're driving into the business that completely outpaces the cost by, by a factor of 10 or something like that, right? Yeah. So that's, that's a risk in air quotes. So I'll bring back the air quotes from the very beginning from, from Rick, right? But the but the risk uh, and and Mike is amazing thoughts absolutely. But the risk is, yeah, I pay less, but then I stay on the version that is five years uh, old or ten years old. You diminish value generation. And you diminish value. You know this is intangible because people think short term, like I'm paying now less, but they don't count that they're gonna lose value over a number of years, right? So that is not counted, right? So and that is where. Yeah, I really love your Netflix. Uh, I, would I pay all the movies like uh, when you had uh, the DVDs or or the the, the cassette? Uh, so you have always, you know, to buy. Maybe only a collector of movie will buy all of them. But most of us are not collectors. And but would I really pay for all the movies? No, I love the subscription. I can watch all the movies I want for one price. But you know, guess what? You know, I saw a lot of movies. But that's exactly how you manage that risk against that value. If you want to think about it in terms of, I love what you said, Mike, because mm -hmm. we can have a whole nother, we can have a whole nother segment on selling value, right? Because that, that's ultimately what everyone needs to get better at is ultimately that. But I, I, I'm curious too, maybe, maybe this is the last topic we'll go into as we're transitioning into this. Well, actually, let me, let me hit on this for just a second. One thing I would caution against too, to Mike's example, is there's a lot of options out there too in this innovation space that's pure play. Mosmo, you you talked about this, right? If it's a if it's a integration provider, if it's an ML provider, it's whatever. That stuff, if you go research it, it's actually kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. But that's why I like that a lot of our customers say, "Well, I want to see underneath the hood." That's a progression of the buyer profile now too. Mm -hmm. Is a lot of it's single tenant based technology. Oh yeah. And when you do that. You can't manage the t you can't manage the cost. You can't manage the TCO. So everything has the perception of innovation is really expensive. But back to Mike, your earlier point that you brought up, um, and we talked about multi tenancy and what you get from there and the lower TCO. That's where we're moving towards is that if you buy into something like an EAP, now you manage and diversify that risk so much more so that you can focus on that value. It's basically it's a really bad analogy, but it's just 
it's almost like buying insurance against your innovation purchase, right? That that's ultimately what you that's that's what that's what you're looking at. Like I I want to buy an insurance policy that says I can innovate at the, at the speed at which I want to go, and I and I'm protected against having to go to some ML vendor that's going to cost me 500k just for a single a single seat just to get access to the technology. It's nuts, right? Mm-hmm. I think people also, uh, by the way, I'll also add there, I also think that the technologies are so cool and badass today that like the demos are amazing. The software mm-hmm. looks so sick yeah. and everything mm-hmm. like that. But I think the other problem, and this is a much, much bigger topic, is people conflate technology with products, right? So just because I have the tool doesn't mean I actually have the business case, the product, and... Exactly. And, right, so just like you know, Rust and Node.js and all these other things, right? Those are just tools. That is not the product unto itself. So I think that's one thing also that people need to kind of peel back, you know, that little veneer, that little strip, uh, you know, that you get on new TVs and everything, right? So you can see what it really, really looks like yeah. in in reality. And that's what I, you know, I, I'm an Apple fan, but I love uh, Microsoft and Windows and Android and Google. But what I do like on Apple is that they, they really you know if you take application is the iphone and the platform is the uh, the 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 um the ios it's all integrated right it's an all integrated experience right so um if you take you know the android or the windows you know you have different laptops so you have you may have more choice but look at how much you have to maintain support you know you have diff- so many combinations you have so many supports, so many own work that you have to do. And then I, I'm not even forget about the viruses and all of that, right? And, uh, and custom builds and custom. I get, you know, the whole ecosystem works really very well. And people can say, well, it's a closed ecosystem, Apple. You can say it, but you, it, it's an innovative company, you know, providing you the end-to-end, the hardware and the software working together. I always... Love that. And uh, the same, if the hardware and the software has to work together, that's the same in the application space. You have the application and the technology works together. And the guys that build the best technologies are the guys that know how, why they want the technology, right? So you, because you're building an application, you know you know why you need this application, uh, these technologies and, and how to use them. You just, you just build a generic tool and can do a thousand things, okay, but that doesn't still fit the purpose. And that's why still Apple builds the same, the best MacBooks because, and they build, oh, sorry, they build the best OS or the mobile OS because they know why they build and what they need for the hardware, right? For the laptops and the iMacs and 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 the phones. And people say, oh, well, I don't like Apple. But it's just an example to give you that if you build, Technologies you need to build because you know what product, Mike. You know, you know, you know what what product you are building. You know, and what applicability and application you're building. I think that's that's the best thing. You know, and I've seen technology built by pure technology players. Not a lot of them have really been successful. In the most came from an applicability use case or an application yeah. or a product. I feel like uh, just full disclosure, uh, probably uh, Massimo has bought three IMAX, uh, 20 AirTags, and what else is in your checkout, in your basket right now? Uh, so maybe he has a new, very vested maybe, interest in all this working Maybe together. the new iPad as well. All right. One or two, a <laughs> couple of them. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Yeah, that's. I, I think that's that's going to be very important. So if I would be an agile CIO, I would really look like uh, if I buy an application. So let's say a lot of lot of CIOs today that are confronted, like you say, hey, there is choice. There is Netflix, but I can have Apple Plus, right? Or I can have uh, you know Amazon Prime. You know, so there are many platforms where I can you know rent the movies. You know, should I be on one? Yeah, mostly the mo the the mostly you use one, right? But at the same time, today, Agile CIO says, well, I have CRM from another vendor, HCM from another vendor, ERP from another vendor. They have maybe three ERP platforms with, uh, with different maturity. So how do they deal that? But maybe, maybe we'll take care of in the next yep. um, episode. All right, guys, let's, let's round this out. I've got one final question, and I'll, I'll, I'll kick it over to Mike for your thoughts on this one. So we've gone from buyer profiles and managing risk to agile development to ultimately multi-tenant software and how that fits into where we're going for the future. But I'm curious, what does this mean? Like I, we hear a lot, what can we provide out of the box or what is out of the box or, or how can we make that out of the box? Is that, a, is that changing as well? What's your thought? Is that, is what, what does out of the box mean to you and where is that going? Yeah, I think, huh. this is your final question then. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you want you want to finish in thirty seconds, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what does out of the box mean? I mean, we've seen that in like the BI world for a long time, pre-canned templates and everything. And what it's not supposed to do is solve how to run your business in a day. What it is supposed to do is try and inform your business how these operations and analytics capabilities can work, and then customize, bake in, add that little bit of zhuzh and secret sauce that makes your company your company into these pre-canned reports and customize it, update the dimensions. And we're seeing that now also in other spaces like machine learning, AI, chatbots, and so on. But what it does is I think that out of the box means that you have a fully equipped platform as well as content that takes you a good segment of the way there into adopting and already being able to operationalize this stuff. And now you're focused on actually how do we make this personal about our business? So out of the box in the future, do I ever think that we're going to have, you know, an ERP that's purpose built for some hyper niche industry, you know, in a specific country around the world or something like that? No, no, you're always going to have those types of situations. And even if you do have markets that you can go completely full out of the box, that company is going to say, no, 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 we're different than the other guys. Right. So everyone's always going to come at it from a different angle for out of the box. But I think, addressing those micro vertical strategies and being able to deliver more content out of the box to enable people to then self-innovate or propel that innovation. That's, I think, where it's going to get stronger and stronger. And I think also the value and the depth of pre-canned analytics, because you know, I'll be honest, a lot of that stuff is kind of you know garbage, right? Or has been garbage in the past. It's like, oh, take a look at my sales dashboard. Isn't that pretty? but it has no intelligence whatsoever about what makes this business unique. I think we will start to see a lot more depth and character to out of the box content that we haven't seen before. And maybe a lot of that has to do with like profiling of the enterprise with AI and machine learning to actually customize and generate or auto create that out of the box content. I mean, some, you know, you can come up with a lot of wacky ideas, but I do think it's going to get closer and closer to helping the business just get off the ground as quickly as possible. That that was yeah. like what ten seconds. Yeah, I, I I'm seeing this more and more that it's more about the the understanding and ability to 
account for the extensions that I need. The Massimo, we've seen this a lot, right? Like companies are moving, even hardware companies are moving into how can I have a software experience that now I provide yep. for these sort of things because the business models are changing. Now, how does my my enterprise software help facilitate that sort of thing? And that's where this 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 mindset is going. Is like I need to I need to make it hyper specific to me and where my business is going. Maybe even beyond industry specificity, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think as we've talked about this transition from buyer profile down into user profile, that user profile mentality means that you can't build one thing for everyone. So. I would argue that the emphasis of like these these composition or application platforms are fundamentally a part of those buying habits moving forward. Is it today? Maybe, maybe starting to transition that way. Certainly tomorrow. It's 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 no doubt moving that direction. But guys, I really appreciate it for our audience. It, let us know your feedback. If you've got any sort of sessions that you want us to go through, uh, like, subscribe, hit us up. And guys, anything on our way out? No, I'm just uh, ready for food here. The potatoes are boiling. Potatoes are boiling. Boring. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Good dogs. There you go. (laughs) 